Praise the Lord. What a, what a song, man. I, I tell you, I, I love being in church. And I tell you, it's been, it's been great um, getting to rest. So I want to start off by thanking the elders and the deacons and the women leadership team for just giving me some time off to rest. Um, went to a conference. They, they uh, allowed me to go to a conference. It was a really great time and a refreshing time. But I'm glad to be here. I'm glad to be here. Um, I, I miss you all when I'm not here. I, I am. It feels weird. It feels like, uh, you know, like when I'm gone, I'm like, what am I doing? I need to be, I need to be with my tribe, you know. Um, good to see uh, our college students back. Good to have you all back. Um, we, you know, we lose a lot of room when you come back, but I'm thankful that you're here. Um, very, very thankful that you're here. And I'm, I'm just, uh, I, I have a friend, he calls me every now and then, and um, he, he tends to remind me that um, I'm, I'm, I'm a very fortunate individual. That's his job. You know, I tell him, call me every so often and remind me how fortunate I am. And he does. Because sometimes, you know, we are like this. I'm, I, look, this is separate from the preaching. But sometimes we, we forget how fortunate and blessed we are as a people. And I, I, I'm, as your pastor, even though I handle the word of God and I know that, I just forget that. And so his task is to call me every so often and just say, hey, man, you're blessed. Like, praise the Lord. I don't care what you think, what's going on. Just remember, you have no business being behind a pulpit. You have no business being married to Teresa Lewis. You have no business having four children. You are no, in no, no business should you be telling people what to do with their lives. But because God is good, he allows you to do it. And you just be thankful for it. Man, I tell you, if you have that mindset, the, the gospel just seems sweeter. It really does. All right, the book of Ecclesiastes. Now, you're going to ask me, Pastor, why are you studying the book of Ecclesiastes? Well, you'll know in a minute. You'll know in a minute. But let's read this wonderful text together. I'll, I will tell you this. It's not as bad as it sounds. It's not. But we're going to read it, and we're going to dive in. Hear now the word of the Lord. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to its place where it rises the wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind, and on its circuit the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be. And what has been done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new? It has been already in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of latter things yet to be among those who come after. Well, all flesh is as grass and the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord shall endure forever. And this is the word that will be taught unto you. Amen and amen. Well, let's go to our Lord in prayer. Father, 
yes, these are your people and this is your word. So I pray that you might uh, cement the word to their hearts. Lord, now I, I, as we come before you, I ask, first of all, that what we know not, you might teach us. What we have not, you might give us. And what we are not, you might make us. By the power of your blessed Holy Spirit, and for the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. Well, I, I mentioned my friend that calls me to remind me how well I bless, uh, how blessed I am. But I have another friend, and when he calls me, I get nervous. Because his job, when he calls me, is to tell me two things. The first is, or to do two things, I should say. The first is this. He always asks me a question I don't really want to answer. I don't really want to really answer the question. That's his job, is to ask me tough questions. And the second thing he does is he always tells me a hard truth I don't really want to hear. And guess what? He called me yesterday. You know, I'm just going to be honest. We all need a friend like that. And if you don't have a friend like that, get a friend like that. Some of you, in fact, you do that already. You do a fantastic job. You, you love my soul, so you always... You always probe at me to make sure that I'm, I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. All of you inside here today need a friend that will ask you hard questions and a friend who will tell you hard truths. Everybody should have someone like that in their life. doesn't matter who it is. And you need to give them access to your life in order to do that. Now, you might say, well, Pastor Dennis, why is that so important? It's important for this reason. People like that give you a reality check. And what do I mean by reality check? People like that, they force you to see the world for what it is and not the way you want it to be. You know one of the biggest problems in the world? I'll tell you what the biggest problem is in the world. I'm going to write a book and make a bunch of money. But here's the biggest problem in the world. The biggest problem in the world is that each and every person inside here today has a reality that is opposite from the true reality that we live in. I guarantee it. You look at the world in a way that's not quite real. And every so often, you need a few people in your life to give you what I like to call a reality check. Now, why do I bring all of that up? That's what the book of Ecclesiastes is. It's a reality check. The book of Ecclesiastes will tell you things. It will ask you tough questions that you do not want to answer. And it's going to tell you some hard truths that you do not want to hear. But I tell you this. If you allow the book to do the job that God intended it to do, you'll be better off for it. That's why after we prayed and, and thought and said, Lord, what do I teach on at the beginning of the year? We settled on the book of Ecclesiastes for that one reason. It's the reality check that our world lives in. I don't know if you noticed. We mentioned it in the prayer. Uh, I don't know if you paid attention to it. Our world is in chaos. That's the reality check. We live in a mad, crazy world. And I wish everyone had someone they can call or to call them to ask them the question they don't want to answer and tell them the hard truth they don't want to hear. I wish everybody had that because all of us need a reality check. 
Otherwise, we'll live in the world of our own making instead of the world as it actually is. And I don't want you to do it. I love you too much to allow you to live in the world of your own making. And so that's why I want to teach through the book of Ecclesiastes. And let me tell you, you know, uh, it's like it's like being in the matrix. When I start preaching, you either take the blue pill or the red pill. I want you to take the red pill. Did I get that right? It's kind of like, yes, the red pill. I want you to take red pill. That's what this is. This is the red pill. And there are times when when we're going to ask some questions. We're going to say some hard things, and you're going to be tempted, Pastor. I, I think I'm going to keep the blue pill. And I want to snatch it out of your hand. And I said, no, you need, to, you need to take this red pill. Right? Now, I, I really don't do introductions to books. I usually like to preach through it, but, but I find that today I have to do introduction. So here's how we're going to do this to start off. I'm going to look at two, two words or concepts that permeate the entire book. Right? And then I'm going to use that as a rubric moving forward to teach through the book. Okay? So if you're taking notes, the very first word I need you to write down is the word vanity. We need to understand what vanity is. Now, now let me, let me say this. Notice the, the book begins the words of the preacher. Let me tell you something. I don't know if preacher is the right word. And I don't know if philosopher is the right word. Right word. I know, I know, Tim Keller and... And, you know, all, all the big preachers say it's probably philosopher. I'm not convinced that it's philosopher, and I'll tell you that why in a minute. But let me start off by telling you this. It should actually be truth teller because he drops a lot of truth bombs, right? And the truth that he tells you is, in, is unbiased. And, and I don't really like the word preacher for this one reason either. Most preachers go to seminary to get their education. He went to the world. He went to Skid Row. He threw parties. And then he came out of that and he said, let me gather you all around and tell you how the world really is, not the way you think the world is. So I'm not convinced he's a, a preacher. I'm not convinced that he's a philosopher, though he says a lot of things that are philosophic in nature. And we're going to get to those things. But I'm convinced he's a truth teller. So I want you to listen to him. Okay? So the first word he uses is vanity. So notice in verse number two. Vanities of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all in va- all is vanity. Now, he says it five times. Now, look, if you're reading through the Bible and you see someone say something five times, I want you to take note. Now, what does the word vanity mean? Well, vanity simply means vapor or breath. That's it. Now, let me explain to you why that's important. Every morning I get up, I pour me a cup of coffee. And every night, my wife says, honey, do you want um, some tea? And I, every now and then, I say yes. When I get my coffee or my tea, you know what comes out of it? Steam. And you might say, well, what's so s- philosophically or, or spiritually awesome about that? Here it is. Here's the imagery. And this is why I love Hebrew. I think I have a Hebrew mind more than a Greek mind. Greek minds tend to be more propositional in nature. I know, I know Greek well enough to kind of get myself through a text. But I think I have a Hebrew mind because I think in pictures and stories. That's why when you come here, you're like, why is Pastor Dennis telling so much stories? Because that's how I think. And then I give the proposition based on the story. So hear me, follow me for a moment. When I get my coffee or tea, a little steam builds up out of it and it just goes in the, in the air. It just goes into the atmosphere. And so what, what the Hebrew is trying to do there is this. Pay attention now. It's so important. 
it says that the things in this world are like a seed. They appear for a little while and then they just vanish away. And, and here's, here's the import of that. They said because it vanishes away so quickly, it is foolish to spend your time and effort trying to live for those things. That's, that's what it means. If something, if something just appears for a little while or exists for a little while, why are you going to spend your time pursuing after those things? In other words, they say, well, it's meaningless. It's meaningless to chase after these things because they only last for a little bit of time. Whether that's money, whether that's youth, whether that's pleasure, it doesn't matter. It's only going to last for a period of time. So it's meaningless. Now, here's why that's an important truth to remember. Now, that's a biblical truth. And that's found throughout the entire Bible. But here's why that's important to remember. Um, several months ago, I read an article. And here's what the article said. The article is based off a census that was done in England, about England and Wales. And they said for the first time in modern history, England and Wales, the majority of people in England and Wales do not identify as Christians. Now, I could go into all the reasons why I think that's problematic. Probably chief of them is this. Whatever happens in Europe tends to happen in the United States in five to ten years. Which means if, if, if that holds true, in five to ten years, the majority of the people living in the United States will not be Christians. Now, as I read through the article and subsequent articles, and I read and read and read, here's the number one reason why people left Christianity. It wasn't because they were angry at Christianity. It wasn't because something happened in their life that caused them to go away from Christianity. The bulk of them, here's why they said they, leave, they left Christianity. They said that they left Christianity because Christianity has no place in their life. In other words, Christianity to them was meaningless. They said like this, if, if, if I have a job to provide for my daily bread, why do I have to pray to God to provide for my daily bread? If I have hospitals to heal my body, why do I need to call for the elders to heal me? If I have social media and I, and I have causes to live for, why am I going to come to church to find community? That's what, that's what they said. Why am I going to do these things? Christianity is meaningless. It has no place in my life. And so here's what the writer of Ecclesiastes says. Writer of Ecclesiastes says this. If you think that Christianity is meaningless, you have not thought deeply enough about the world that you live in. Because the writer of Ecclesiastes says, a world without Jesus is the most meaningless existence there is. You say, Pastor, how do you know that? Again, look at the text. He says it five times. Now, here's something you need to know about Hebrew. In Hebrew, there are two ways to form the superlative. One is to put a little particle by the name of men in front of it, and the second is to repeat the words multiple times. So here's what he's saying. If you think the world, the Christianity is meaningless, then the alternative is not just meaningless, but it's meaningless Meaningless, 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 meaningless. In other words, it is absolutely, positively meaningless 
if you're going to reject Christianity and put your heart in it. Now, let me back up for a moment and say this. Please don't hear him being brass and in your face about this. He's not. In fact, if you look at the context and the way in which verse number two is shaped, he's crying out. He's crying out. He's begging you. Look, I, I see young people in here. One of the things I love about our church, this church, is that we have tons of young people, intelligent, bright, gifted. You saw all the people up here that were playing instruments. You look around this church, you see intelligent, bright, capable people from our college students, young adults, all the way down. This church is filled with it. And, and when, you, when you finally settle down and you get a job, the temptation of this world is to say, why do you need Christianity? You have a job to provide for yourself. You have hospitals to heal you. You have social media to keep you distracted. You also have causes in the world, safe water, hospitals, all these things you can engage in. Why do you need Christianity? And the writer of Ecclesiastes says this. The reason why you need Christianity is because all of the hope and meaning in the world is bound up in Christ and not in this world. That's what he says. You can't find it anywhere else. And it's a powerful truth. Now, you might be sitting there thinking, well, Pastor Dennis, you just stated that. How do you know that the world is meaningless? Well, I'll give you three reasons. First of all, the things of this world are elusive. What does elusive mean? You will never get what you want out of it. Never. If I could say it this way, the world always overpromises and underdelivers. It does. How, uh, how many of you have ever watched a commercial? I, I remember watching a commercial. Burger King put out a new burger. I remember it clear as day. I was younger. And I, and I saw the burger, and I was like, man, that burger looks amazing. And so I went into Burger King. I ordered it, waited for it, got it. And I was underwhelmed. I thought the burger was going to be an inch thick. It was maybe one-eighth. There was no sauce dripping on the side. It wasn't vibrant, right? But, but you, we've all experienced that. We've all, we've all looked at something and said, man, I can't wait to try that. And you try it, what? And it's underwhelming. Or sometimes you see a product online. And you're like, man, I got to have that product. They said, you know, they said it'll work. That nonstick pan. You know, I have a friend. I have a friend. He cracks me up. So he calls me. He says, hey, you need to call me every so often. And you need to tell me not to buy anything off the home shopping network. That's my job. I call him and I tell him to not buy because, because anything he sees on the home shopping network, he thinks will work. But every time he buys it, guess what happens? It doesn't work. Why? Because the world always overpromises and underdelivers. That's why it's elusive. Whatever you're going after in the world, it look, it's going to overpromise and underdeliver. That job, that boyfriend or girlfriend, that relationship, that education. Whatever it is, it will always overpromise and underdeliver. 
The Bible tells us that unlike the world, Christ promises and over-delivers. Because the Bible says that the things he promised, we can't even fathom how great they are. That's the difference between the world and the gospel. So first, first thing about the world, it's elusive. The second thing is it's ephemeral, meaning it only lasts for a period of time. Uh, some of you may know this. I used to play um, chess professionally. And, and when, I, when I played, um, I, w- I, would, I would work myself up. I would get in these tournaments, and I would you know, study and practice and do all this stuff. And then, then I would get into tournaments, and, and I would win. You know, every now and then I won a tournament. It was exciting. And, man, I would be so happy. And, and I would call my mother and say, Mom, I, I won a tournament. She, she would say, oh, that's nice. Um, when are you coming home? And I was like, man, okay, uh, I guess I'll be home soon. You know, I, you know I, I'm excited. But, you know, it never really lasts. I mean, think about it. Think about the most amazing trip you've ever been on or the most amazing meal you ever had or the most amazing experience you ever had and think to yourself, how long has that lasted? Not very long. You wish it would last longer. That's why we keep chasing it because we want it to last longer, but it's ephemeral. And the last thing is this, that it's, it's enigmatic. In other words, we can't understand the world that we live in. I'll never forget, I was um, in the gym. I know I don't look like it, but I was in the gym. This was back when I lived in Pensacola, and there was a man, he was a gym rat. His name was, his name was Ray. And I remember I came into the gym that Saturday, and the night or the day before the Charlie Hubno shooting had happened. So you, you might not remember that. But anyway, I came into the gym. I was working out, doing bench press. It wasn't that much. But, but Ray ran right over to me, and he's like, you keep telling me God exists, but what kind of God would allow someone to walk into this newspaper and kill all of these people? So I got another you know, push-up in, and I put it down. I stood up, and I said, Ray, let's play, let's play a little game. Let's pretend for a moment God doesn't exist. You explain to me why he did that. That's exactly what I heard. Let me explain something to you. I don't have all the answers. I believe I have the most important answers. That's why I'm a pastor. I believe the Bible has the most important answers to the questions that we have. But I don't have all the answers. But you know what? The world has zero answers. Because at the end of the day, I could give him reasons for why I think that happened. I could tell him, hey, Ray, there's such a thing as God's sovereignty. And that, and that the world was plunged into sin. And that one day Christ will redeem all of the pain and suffering in the world. I could tell him that. But on the other side of that leisure, there's nothing. Why do you think when something happens in the world, you never see an atheist stand up and comfort anybody? 
I'm not saying that to be mean to anybody. Look, I'm just giving you the reality. I'm just giving you facts. Ray couldn't say anything because there's nothing to be had in a world without Christ. Yes, I know the world's messed up. Yes, I know evil and bad things happen. But I can make sense of the world because of Christ. It's not that enigmatic. But man, when you're lost, the world makes no sense. There's no answers to it at all. And everything is that much more meaningless. Now quickly, the second thing I want to tell you and you need to understand is in verse number three. Now let me say this. Next week, I'm going to pick up this question in full. So the only thing I want you to learn is this one phrase, under the sun. What does that phrase mean? That's important. Um, so vanity is mentioned 40 times. So that's why I started off with that. That's important. If you're taking notes, write that down. But life under the sun is mentioned 29 times. And right after that is the whole concept of um, the fear of the Lord. And Albert and those are covering that in, in Sunday school. So I'm, I'm going to preach probably one sermon on that at the end. But the phrase that I want you to pay attention to is life under the sun. It shows up here in verse number three. It says, what does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? Now, the best I can tell, the, 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 the statement is meant to be a contrast between the fallen, sinful world without meaning, without hope, striving, and life beyond this world that provides objective meaning, steadfast hope, and the joy of heaven. Now, if I could sum it up this way, hear me, here's how I would sum it up. It's saying that life under the sun, S-U-N, is meaningless, but life in the sun, S-O-N, is full of meaning. That's how I'll sum it up. Now, let me tell you why that's important. That's a spiritual truth, by the way. Hang that, hang that up. That life under the sun, that's meaningless. Life, that's S-U-N, but life in the sun, S-O-N, that's full of meaning. That's a spiritual truth. All through the Bible, no matter where you go, write that down and remember that. Now, here's why that's important. The reason why that's important is anytime you see in the Bible, it says that we are under something, it means that we are governed and subject to it. Do you remember when the Roman centurion came to Jesus? And he says, Jesus, I'm a man under authority. What is he saying? He's saying, Jesus, I know how to follow orders. I know how to do what I'm supposed to do. I know how to do as I'm told. I had a friend. Um, I have a number of friends. But uh, I have one friend in particular. I have one friend in particular. He, uh, he said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to join the military. I'm like, you're crazy, but go for it. So when he finished basic training, he came, he started telling us all these stories. So, so this is one story he told me. I'll never forget. He said, first, first week of basic training, you know, they're doing basic training, and, and the, you know, the guy's barking out orders. And, um, and so the guy barks out an order, his drill sergeant, and he tells his drill sergeant, says, hey, hey, you know we could do it, if we do it this way, it'll be a little bit different. And his drill sergeant looked at him, right, got right up in his face. He's like, son, we pay you from the neck down, not the neck up. So you shut up and do what I told you to do. I love that. I love that. 
Don't you wish you could tell people that sometimes? (laughs) You know, but but what was he trying to tell them? What was he trying to tell them? Don't miss the point. He's trying to tell them, I don't care what you have to say. You need to do what I tell you to do. Now, here's the spiritual application of that. Life under the sun, what makes it meaningless is that so often we blindly do what the world tells us to do without thinking about it. We just do what the world tells us to do. Whatever the new ism is, believe that. Whatever the world tells you to wear and dress, you you wear and dress that. Right? It's, It's just living and existing when we uncritically adopt every philosophy the world throws at us. And let me say this too. Christians can live under the sun just as well as unbelievers. Why do you think so many Christians are locked in to the news and politics? It's almost mindless. Whatever the public intellectual says, whatever the political commentator says, we just soak it all up without going to this book and saying, what does the Lord say? Man, how can I apply the principle of Scripture? Look, if you're not reading Scripture, you're not going to have the mind of Christ, and that's why I think we mindlessly follow the world. Now, I'm not picking on you. I'm not trying to make you feel bad. Remember, facts. That's just facts. We got to listen to somebody So let me just ask you the question. Are you walking around mindlessly believing everything the world tells you? Or you know enough of the Bible to push back a little and critique? Because that's what under the sun means. It means that we are under the authority of the world, that whatever the world tells us to do, we do it and we do it uncritically. We march lockstep to what the world asks us to do. And we never stop and think, is it true that a man can suddenly become a woman or a woman can suddenly become a man? Is that really true? Is it really true that if you're a Christian, you always have to believe what the Republican Party says? But By the way, that's what Coalesce would say if he was here. He pushes back hard because he doesn't want you to be mindless. He wants you to think, what does God have to say? And then live your life in accordance with that. We have too many mindless people in the world adopting and feeding off whatever the world says and not really looking at what the scripture has to say. Now, he also talks about another reality. And it's this. He says, meaningless doesn't have to have the last word. That just like how there's life under the sun, there's such a thing as life in the sun. In the sun. S-O-N. Now, what does that mean? Now, in the Bible, when you see something is in something, right? If, you are, if, if it says you are in something, it means that you are united with it or one with it. So when you read the Bible and it says that, you and I were born in trespasses and sins, it means that we were born sinners. That's, our, that's in our DNA. That's who we are. But that doesn't mean that it has to be like that. The Bible says that you and I are called not to be in trespasses and sins, 
but we're called to be in Jesus Christ. That's the spiritual truth. That's what your calling is. That's what all of our calling is. If you are in trespasses and sins, your life has no meaning. If you're in the Son, then your life is full of meaning. You say, Pastor Dennis, how do you know that? I'll end with this. In John 1.1, John begins his epistle this way. He says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the word for word there is the word logos. And here's why that's important. The Greeks were philosophers, and they had a big problem. The problem is there were too many philosophers. It's hard to keep track of them. And so they said, we need one philosophy that provides ultimate meaning, ultimate hope, ultimate understanding. And they called it the logos. Right? Now, here's the problem that they had. They could never agree on what the logos was. But then Jesus came into the world. And then the writers of the New Testament took that concept of the Logos and said, aha, true meaning has arrived. The true Logos has arrived, and his name is Jesus Christ. Outside of him, everything is all Logos, all meaningless. That's not actually a word, by the way. Don't, you know. Don't say, well, pastor spoke some Greek from the, no, 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 there's no, uh, to my knowledge, there's no alpha privative in front of logos. But the point is, it's no logos, no meaning outside of him. But, but, but John says, he is the ultimate source of meaning and truth. And when he came into the world, he became the ultimate source of meaning and truth. And here's, here's the point that I want to make that I don't want you to miss. There are some things that Jesus will be calling you to that runs counter to your desire and what you want to do. But remember this, there is no meaning apart from what he has called you to. And that's what the writer of Ecclesiastes says. Now, big takeaway, meaninglessness and life under the sun doesn't have to be your final reality. There is meaning and life in the Son, our Savior. That's the big takeaway. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much. Lord, um, we said some hard things today. And rightfully so. There are times in our lives when we need to be asked questions we don't want to answer and hear hard truths that we don't really want to hear. But every now and then, we need a reality check. I'm thankful that you allowed the book of Ecclesiastes to be written because in it we see someone wrestling with belief and unbelief, sadness and joy, futility and meaning. It is the truest book, as once someone said in the Bible. I pray that we might draw from this truth. In Jesus' name, amen.